You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, please come and feed us with your bread of life this morning. Take my words and make them yours and implant them deeply into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, please keep your bulletin open to the Gospel of Mark so that you can follow along with me. It's a passage we'll be looking at this morning. And in this passage, we see two accounts of Jesus performing miracles. The first account, as we heard, was Jesus casting out a demon, and the second, healing a deaf and speech-impaired man. While these seem like just any other of Jesus' miracles, if I can say that, Jesus doing what Jesus does best, you know, casting out demons, healing the deaf, there's a little bit more going on under the surface when we dig down deeper. These miracles act as signposts pointing us beyond themselves to even greater things. They point us inward spiritually as they reveal something about our human nature and they point us forward historically as they reveal something about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So let's dig deeper into these passages and see what we find. In our first account, verses 24 to 30, Mark tells us the story of Jesus casting out a demon from this Syrophoenician woman's daughter. The geographical information in verse 24 is not to be glossed over. Over the past few chapters in Mark's Gospel, Jesus has been in his hometown region of Galilee, in the northern kingdom of Israel. But now we are told that he's ventured even farther north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And these two cities, though once aligned with Israel, by the time Jesus has come on the scene, they're no longer part of the kingdom of Israel, and therefore they're considered Gentile territory. This is important to note, along with the description of this woman, uh, who is the focus of the passage. Jesus is in Gentile territory, and a Gentile woman, who is Syrophoenician by birth, approaches him because her daughter is demon-possessed. Now to us in 2021, that doesn't really sound like much. But as we enter into Jesus' context, we need to understand that this is rather scandalous. He's in hostile territory, and as a Jew, he would have known that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are Jews, and then there's everybody else. The word Gentile is another way of saying the nations, or everyone else. But then things get even more scandalous when this Gentile comes to him to speak to him. In the beginning of chapter 7, which Craig took us through last week, Jesus has been interrogated by the leaders of Israel about why his disciples don't keep what they considered to be the commandments of God. And now it seems like Jesus is just going out of his way to flaunt and to break these traditions of the elders by interacting with this Gentile, which some would have considered to be unclean. And at the same time, it's reasonable to suspect that this woman knew that she was breaking these same social and religious rules, but she was in desperate need. And so it's within this context, and despite all these barriers, all these boundaries separating these two people, this Syrophoenician woman still comes to Jesus, knowing that he is the only one that can help her. So she falls at Jesus' feet and begs him to help her daughter. Jesus replies to her rather unexpectedly. 
Look at verse 27 with me. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is one of the more confusing sayings of Jesus. It's because he's using a parable here. Now, it doesn't seem like a parable as we know it, but he uses this provocative language to elicit a response. Much like other parables, Jesus uses this parable to distinguish between those who are inside and those who are outside the kingdom of God, between those who are truly seeking God and those who are not. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 4, "'To you has been given the kingdom of God, "'but for those outside, everything is in parables.'" Well, what does he mean by this parable? Well, Jesus is referring to the mission of God. The children that he speaks of are the people of Israel, and the dogs are the Gentiles. And Jesus paints this picture of a family eating around a table, and the children being fed first, and then afterwards, the household pets. He does this to signify that God's mission, his eternal plan of salvation, redemption, and reconciliation, That was first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. For as Jesus says to the woman at the well and John, salvation comes from the Jews. We see this mission all throughout the Bible. Israel were God's chosen people. They were chosen out of every other nation on the earth to be God's special possession through which he would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We see this even back in the book of Genesis at the very birth of the nation of Israel, when God made his covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he said to him, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel was meant to mediate God's blessing, his saving work to the whole world. And this was done primarily through the establishment of God's kingdom, his rule on earth. And Jesus comes as this king of God's kingdom to establish God's rule on earth as it is in heaven, first for Israel and then for the rest of the world. So this is what Jesus means when he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus has come to give the bread of life to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And remarkably, this Syrophoenician woman, she understands all of this. Without hesitation, she responds to Jesus. Look at verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And at this reply, Jesus cast the demon out of her daughter, and she is restored. Well, what was it about this response that forced Jesus' hand? Well, we're told explicitly in, Mark's, uh, sorry, in Matthew's account that her response was an act of faith. Instead of confronting Jesus as the Israelite leaders had been doing just previously, This woman responds in faith, knowing that Jesus is the only one that can help her. She is an insider. And so this woman, in humility, falls on her knees before Jesus, pleading with him for help, and in humility recognizes that she's not worthy even to sit at the table with Jesus. She simply asks to eat the crumbs that fall from his table. It's this humility that we express to God when we say the prayer of humble access in our communion service, which is based on this very passage. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. This Syrophoenician woman, she gets it. In fact, she's the first person in Mark's gospel to understand a parable of Jesus. 
She understands her place before God, that she's unworthy to ask him of anything, but that his property is always to have mercy. And so in humility, she's not asking Jesus for even half of the kingdom, but just the crumbs that fall from his table, knowing that even these crumbs will be enough to help her daughter. And then Jesus demonstrates here with actions what he's been explaining to the crowds in the preceding passages. It's not what goes into a person that defiles you, but what comes out of your heart. Though this woman would have been considered unclean and defiled, through faith, with a humble and believing heart, Jesus makes her and her daughter clean again. Well, after casting out a demon, Jesus then heads east to the region of the Decapolis. And in verses 31 to 37, Mark recounts a healing of a deaf and speech-impaired man, which is a little bit more straightforward than this demon-possessed girl. In verse 32, we learn that this man was brought to Jesus and the people who brought him begged Jesus to heal him. And Jesus takes this man to the side to get some privacy. Then a little bit strangely, he puts his fingers into this man's ears. Then after spitting, touches his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighs and says to him, Be opened. And lo and behold, they are. Look at verse 35. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. As he often does, Jesus then charges them to tell no one about what has happened, not wanting the people to rush his enthronement as king. But they ignore Jesus, and they zealously tell people what he's done. They are astounded beyond measure, saying with amazement, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Well, as I said at the beginning, while these miracles seem just like any other, if I can say that, there's a lot going on. Bubbling under the surface of Mark's gospel is this question that Jesus will ask his disciples in the next chapter, in chapter 8. Who do you say that I am? That question of who is Jesus is just right underneath the surface. What has he come to do? In these two miracles, we get further insight into the identity of Jesus. See, Mark is laying out a case for us that Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen king of his kingdom and saviour of the world, the one of whom the prophets spoke. See, this healing of this deaf and speech-impaired man is a fulfilment of the words that we heard read from Isaiah 35. Listen again to these verses from Isaiah. Saying to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then, the, uh, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus is this one, this Messiah, who has come to rescue us, to save us. He has come to open the eyes of the blind, to unstop the ears of the deaf, and to make the tongues of the mute sing for joy. But as we see with this interaction with the Syrophoenician woman, this salvation that Jesus brings is not only for Israel, but for the whole world also. Here we get a glimpse of God's salvation coming to the Gentiles, which is good news for us here in Birmingham, Alabama. As one commentator writes, the doors of the banquet hall have swung open and all are welcome who will come in humility and faith. But these miracles not only teach us about Jesus, they also teach us something about ourselves. 
They point us inward spiritually as they teach us in actions what is true of us spiritually. And what I mean by this is that these two scenes themselves act as metaphors for humanity. To paraphrase John Stott, they illustrate the truth that we are spiritually defiled, deaf and mute, and that only Jesus Christ can come and make us clean, unstop our ears and loosen our tongues. See, it's only Jesus who can rescue us from our spiritual death and raise us to new life. Only Jesus can make us whole again. Lastly, these two miracles also point us forward historically as they give us a glimpse of the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the future hope of life everlasting. In these two accounts, we see the end times, the time when God will redeem all things, when he will reconcile all things, when he will restore all things, We see that time brought forward and breaking into the present. And that wonderful and amazing image of, uh, that we have of future in paradise, the new creation when every tear is wiped away, when there's no more pain and no more suffering, for the old is gone and the new has come. In Jesus Christ, that beautiful picture is brought forward into our day. And we're given a preview of what that will look like. We're given a preview of the kingdom of God. For Jesus comes as the king to inaugurate that kingdom, to begin, to begin the process of establishing God's rule on earth. How does he do that? Well, as we see in these events, he doesn't do it through persuasive speech, persuasive speech or military might. It's through compassion, through love and through mercy. But ultimately, it's through his sacrifice. It's through his blood shed on the cross for the sins of the whole world. But that future is not quite yet. We still wait patiently for Jesus to return, waiting for him to fully establish his reign on earth as it is in heaven. But while we wait, we wait with good news, that in Jesus Christ, though we are deserving of God's condemnation, because we are spiritually deaf, because we are broken and unclean, but in God's great love for us, he sends his one and only Son, to take the punishment that we deserve and to one day restore us to new life, giving us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that promised future. Brothers and sisters, we are not worthy to gather up the crumbs that fall from God's table. And yet, God doesn't just give us his crumbs, but he gives us his only begotten son. So as Paul states, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that though we are unworthy, you love us with a steadfast and everlasting love. You've shown us that love in your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for his death on the cross for our behalf. We ask that you would take this good news and work it deep in our hearts, that we would be reminded of your love for us day after day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.